Greetings. Welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Ontic's Vice President of Security and Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer and 20 transforming corporate security teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protective strategies through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the conversation. Peter Evans is the CEO of Extract One Technologies, a leading technology-driven threat detection and security solution. Extract One uses unobtrusive threat detection systems to enable venue building operators to prioritize and deliver improved patron experiences and provide unprecedented safety. Peter joined the company in 2020 and has over 20 years in the executive experience forming, developing, and managing businesses and teams and driving aggressive growth. He's worked both in the cyber side and the risk side. And in the face of rising security incidents, Peter's devoted to advancing the physical security technology industry. Peter, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. It's great to have you with us and thanks for joining. Right out, right out of the bat, this idea of like, look, we at Ontic love this thing, but you got to collect, you got to collect to connect the dots. You are a, a lone analyst, maybe at an event, you're in the op center or the GSOC and you're looking and you have to look and look and look and find the anomaly and maybe a crowd of up to 60, 70,000 people approaching an event. Um, I mean, really, you, you're, you're talking about, and I've heard you talk before about this customer back um, philosophy that you have. Am, am I hitting it on the head or what would you add to that? That's a great question. And there's a couple of things to unpack there. First off, if we think about the value of AI, AI is very, very good at taking billions of data points and, and correlating through them to come up with the two or three things that are very interesting to pay attention to. Humans are terrible at that. You can imagine a person trying to watch all the video feeds from a thousand video cameras. They tune out after a short period of time. Having said that, humans are very, very good at taking two or three data points and coming up with a conclusion or an answer. It's almost like our six, two or three data points, and you can size up someone very, very quickly and with a high degree of accuracy. So there's always going to be a human in the loop element to what's going on. The more important thing, though, is what you talked about with customer back. Many technologies are product forward. Mm -hmm. They start with an idea. They get some engineers in a lab. They start working on those things. And they believe they've, they've found the better mousetrap to bring to the marketplace. Too often, and in fact, this is one of the challenges that we had here when we were Patriot One three, four years ago, that product doesn't fit the operational needs and operational business model for any given customer or any given customer. You know, a simple example, our first iteration of the product only drew a little bit of power. And so we said, well, let's run off power over Ethernet. We need a network connection anyways. When was the last time you went to a baseball stadium and found Ethernet jacks all over the place? It's laughable. So, you know, we, we spend a lot of time and my success in my career has been this idea of customer back. Listen to your customers, understand their business model. You almost have to get entrenched into their day-to-day -day operations. Watch how the patrons flow. Watch how the business flows. Watch how the employees flow. And you have to fit right into that flow as opposed to forcing the customer to have to redesign their operations to work around your shortcomings. Well, I love that idea of like, look, we're involved in the design. We're just not going to show up and say, here's a piece of kit. Thank you very much. Here's a bill. 
you're going to actually like, I'm willing to come in. I'm willing to look. We're willing to understand what's your pattern flow. What does it look like for a baseball game, vice, uh, uh, a soccer match or a concert? Or a manufacturing plant that's making automobiles. Very, very different. Yeah. And even you'll find every entrance of every building is different. Well, I, th- I, th- I love the idea too. What, you know, you're talking about customer back, understanding what the customer's needs are and, and building the tech around it. As you say, like manufacturing, I think things of insider threat, not just from the cyber side, but also the physical aspect of, hey, this is where our data center is. We have, we have swaths of servers that we're looking at. What's the normal pattern so we can identify the anomaly and then that needs to be investigated, checked off, or something needs to happen around. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it, you, you hit the nail on the head here, Chuck. I mean, this is this key idea, again, coming back to the value of digital transformation. You know, historically, you know, the world was run by labor-based business models. We used to physically go to stores to buy things. We used to physically go to bank branches to buy things. We used to physically go to schools. It scaled with the numbers of teachers, the numbers of bank branches, and eventually you kind of hit a wall. You know, the promise of digital transformation, we've seen it in every aspect of our life. We've seen it in how we, we shop these days, you know, and how we purchase things, you know, and the insights that are provided to us by Amazon every time we get on about the kinds of things we may be interested in purchasing. I can't remember the last time I went to a physical bank, you know, or got a physical check in my hands. Similar things have happened in education. Well, you know, you've heard before, like security at the edge or edge project products or these are things. But I also like, as you guys phrase it, and you mentioned earlier, the idea of digital transformation at the perimeter meaning it's far out and it affects the experience, but it also affects, as we might say, the intelligence community, understanding what the requirements of the recipient of that data is, not just the experience of the person walking in, but what is it that that lone person in or lone people in the GSOC or the VSOC are looking at, what, what's important to them so that we can manifest those both ways. Exactly. And so to take that one step further, how do you scale that? Yeah. If you start to think about it, you know, patron security and patron experience doesn't start when they walk in the door. It actually starts the moment they're sitting on their laptop and uh, they're deciding to buy tickets to the sports game or going online to do some other activity. You know, I understand this is Chuck. He is really who he says he is. I understand his identity. He's not using false credit cards. He's been to our venue 20 times before, mm-hmm. and he's always bought tickets in this section of the stand. So I'm starting to gather digital insights that can be correlated long before you approach the building and long before you enter it. So when we think about security, and to your point of that gentleman at the GSOC, he's got a, a broad set of information that's all been correlated to put a risk factor against you as an individual coming to a game. Yeah. Right. And also from the guest experience side, a broad set of information about you as a patron coming to the game so that the, the organization can maximize and almost uh, custom tailor your individual experience based on what digital insights provide. Peter, you know, as I as I consider what we're talking about and, you know, a lot of times I would say a lot of people say, like, as you said earlier, like, oh, a metal detector, that's the, that's the completely unsexy thing in the security, uh, the security apparatus. But, you know, to put it on its head, like you said, you know, weapons detection or or risk detection, if you will, strategically, as you're talking about, do you consider historically, are there any inflection points to the push of transformation within this space? Yeah, I think there's been a couple of things that, that have happened. As we all know, security is oftentimes an afterthought. And it's hard to put an ROI around security, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's physical security. I worked in the cybersecurity space for a long, long time. It was fascinating to me 
how many companies, and we've seen we've seen the tragedies. You know, we saw what happened with Equifax and Target and all the others who were, had breaches. Oftentimes, if you dig into it, there was proposals to invest in more cybersecurity, knowing the world was riskier. Mm-hmm. But people would put it off, put it off, put it off with the idea of we haven't been hacked yet. Yeah. Similar sort of thing in physical security. You know, oftentimes, uh, you know, a, a proposal to enhance security goes to uh, up through the executive chain. It hits the CFO's desk. And they're saying, look, well, we haven't had a breach before. We haven't had a weapon incident before. What we're doing is working. There's a saying that came out of one of the, uh, I think, the directors of the FBI. And he said, um, you know, security is always too much until it's never enough. Exactly. And it's never enough when that day when all of a sudden someone brings a gun into your venue and, and you have an incident and tragedy occurs. And it's a shame. But like you say, the words, nothing happened. Well, I, and I, look, we're, we're talking to the masses here, you, me, and everyone listening in. I mean, look, nothing happened. We all cringed. But the reality is, like, let's look at everything that went into making nothing happen. So, and I can't, and I might be using somebody's motto. If I am, I apologize, but I know there's something out there that's like, let's make nothing happen today. But under, fully understanding what that means. Now, but I think to your point about customer back, there's also, in, in if you disagree, please say so, but isn't there a responsibility on our part as practitioners, security, or risk agents to say, we're going to secure you, but we also understand that there is an experience that you're trying to convey. So it's easy for us to say guns, gates, guards, and now maybe gigabytes, that's done. But I I love what you're saying about the idea again of, but we understand we're part of your experiential chain. And so there's there's a really interesting thing, and I think that's where back to something you were saying earlier, Chuck, about you know the benefits of digital transformation. Historically, as the world has got more and more risky, as we've seen more and more social unrest and things like that, and we've had to you know layer up more and more layers of security, whether it's guns, whether it's gates, whether it's walk through metal detectors, whether it's wands, whatever, the patron experience has gone down, and these two things have always been in juxtaposition with each other. They're in conflict. It's the same thing you see in the cybersecurity world. Every time the banks get a little more worried and they put in another layer of multi-factor authentication, where now it's no longer just your name and password, I've got to send a text to my phone, I've got to remember it, I've got to enter it, then I've got to do capture. You get sort of four or five layers. It becomes annoying. You know, I don't know how many times I've forgotten my password and got locked out of my bank account. Or you're sitting and you're trying to get something done. And it's like, and you have to enter this, and we're going to send something to your email. And, A, I just need to transfer money. Exactly. So that's that's where the promise of digital innovation can change the dynamic, because if I think about digitizing that, you know, that physical edge, that that physical security edge. Right. I don't have to have a conflict where I'm going to either have a great guest experience or I'm going to have great security or those two are going to butt heads with each other. Mm-hmm. With what we're doing with digital transformation, you typically can see the the average fan gets into a venue 10 times faster. Yeah. Eh, maybe seven times, maybe five times, depends on the demographics, right? The typical organization significantly reduces their security costs because they don't need as much labor because they're digitally informed. It's like you've got the digitally aware security guard now, okay? And so the fans are in faster. The costs have gone down significantly. So your guest experience has gone up. Your operational costs have gone down. But with all the digital insights you're gaining versus just a beep saying there's metal, 
Yeah. You now have so much more insights that you can raise security to a much higher level and continuously fine tune it. We love the fact when we go into a venue and, you know, we have the statistics to say, look, here's what's going to happen when you have the Disney on Ice event versus the, the Garth Brooks concert. And it's a Wednesday versus a Tuesday versus a Friday. Here's what you can expect in terms of traffic flow, what you can expect, expect in, for, in terms of the types of weapons that will be brought in. Knowing that in advance changes the dynamics so the security organization, because they're digitally informed, can be proactive versus reactive. Well, it changes the dynamic of the event planning space, too. Think about it. Like, hey, look, you and I are the event planners. Somebody comes in, like uh, Extract One, it says, like you said, look, Garth Brooks versus the, the MMA fight, or sorry, UFC fight. And then as we're looking for, as we're doing that over the next, say, year, or we're doing our strategic planning, and now we're talking about budget cycles. Hey, why did you ask for a 25% increase in your budget? Because the type of events, and one might say, well, we kind of knew that inherently, but now you have, it's like you said earlier, it's the human mark one eyeball that's coupled with ins, you know, AI and uh, platform-driven insights. Exactly, exactly. And you start to think about that, you know, all that data and all those insights and, you know, uh, there's opportunity to monetize the insights, but just in terms of the operator themselves, you start to uh, be able to, you, you're able to answer the what if questions. You know, why is this line over here 20 minutes long versus that one that's two minutes long for the concession stands? Are there things that I know about this audience? It's a Wednesday night, so the majority of my people actually arrive on the East Gate where the subway comes in. Therefore, I'm going to put on pop-up merchandising over there and getting much more effectiveness. Yeah, and and from a security point of view, maybe we say, hey, look, we know most people are coming from the Eastgate. There's a subway. We're going to put some additional eyes on. Maybe we put some surveillance detection or we do something here to bolster the the look and feel because, again, we want people to come in. We want them to have a good experience. We want them to feel safe. I I, I mean, I, I just all this, this insight-driven risk management, I, I think is amazing. And we're going there. And I think, as you said, the inflection points that we've seen in the past, maybe going much before, but I even think about, you know, the issue, the, the tragic, tragic incident in, in Las Vegas um, and others where maybe we now have also there's, I'm thinking about the reverse. Now we've had an incident in the venue. What's the best way to consider how we think about exfil plans or extraction plans or our, our, you know, break glass in case of emergency planning. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. The other thing that I think is very interesting promise of the future here is <clears throat> the fact that I can now start to integrate and tie together what has historically been a lot of disparate um, things. You talked about, you know, guns, guards, gates, you know, add into that cameras, add into that, you know, uh, you know, information coming from any of multiple sources. Yeah. The fact that AI is infinitely scalable and is able to ingest insights from all sorts of different uh, kind of sources. I can look at access control systems. I can look at parking systems. I can look at camera video feeds. I can layer AI onto it to kind of track individuals throughout the venue. And now kind of create an integrated view on things versus the silo view, which is historically very traditional for physical security. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. 
The center is a trusted resource for those in security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis from some of the industry's top practitioners. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Let me ask you a question as you know, you've, uh, you know, anyone that goes and finds you on LinkedIn or, or gets an opportunity to talk to you, you've got a very, uh, you've got a deep, both startup and organizational uh, experience. Um, what do you, what, what blind spots do you see that we have maybe in, in this space or in the industry from your experience, both, you know, like, here's what we can learn from a startup and maybe here's what we can observe from, from a more of a uh, mature organizational structure in terms of how we look at innovation, how we look at advancing this space. Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I don't know that I have the perfect answer, but what's always fascinating to me is, you know, the large, large companies provide, you know, relationship, distribution channels, uh, you know, incumbency, these sorts of things. Let's think of a Dell or an IBM or an HP or someone like that. But I would be the first one to say the pace of innovation is very, very slow. These small startups, they're innovating very, very quickly, but it's difficult to get to market in any sort of scale and see massive adoption of technology. It takes a number of years. I mean, heck, look at the first iPhone. I think the first iPhone sold something like, what, 17,000 units, right? Not the billions that it sells today. So it takes a while for the, the small startups to get that innovation flywheel going and kind of the volume going that then drives, you know, growth and faster innovation. Now, I think the large start, the large companies, they love having the small startups because they let them test. It's almost like a little lab environment. Keep my eyes on these four or five little startups who I think are doing interesting things. And if they make it, let's acquire them quickly before they become too costly. So you know, there's an interesting kind of yin-yang between large companies and small companies. If there was anything that I would help ex, uh, accelerate the adoption, <coughs> would be more partnership between larger and smaller companies and almost uh, leveraging the channels and the relationships to bring innovation to the market in a broad scale faster. Yeah, I, I love that idea, especially more incubation between the both. Like organizations are places we can incubate these ideas. Maybe Maybe that... And of course, we're not, we're solving all the world's problems here, Peter, but maybe that's done through the educational, you know, institutions where we can find places that we can bring both together and incubate for the better of the whole. Uh, and then from there, it can be monetized or it can be tossed to either way. But uh, that's, that's interesting to me in terms of, because I agree with you, like, look, large organizations are slow, smaller organizations are more agile, but it's harder to get you know, it's harder to bring something to market or bring it to scale, as you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. What I've found is always the best approach here. Quite frankly, no disrespect to anyone, because I work for a lot of these large organizations, as well as a large number of small startups. Um, you know, trying to partner with the large organizations, those behemoths will swallow up a smaller startup company. Um, find the two or three customers who are on that kind of innovative edge. You know, Jeffrey Moore in his books, Crossing the Chasm, talked a lot about this where he talked about the early adopters and the technology lifecycle curve. There's always those folks. They're the guys who line up for three days to get the new iPhone. You know, they love the new shiny thing and they love to play with it, even if it doesn't quite work well. 
we were very, very fortunate to find a, a half a dozen of those folks who would take the product in and really kick the crap out of it and give us honest feedback about what it took to be successful. Back to that customer back kind of approach to the world. No, no. I mean, I think about that and you're right. I mean, you got to have those lighthouse clients that believe that, I, I'll put it this way, they believe that you believe in the mission. And in security, I mean, you know, we are a we are a mission driven industry. I believe many likely because many come from the military, the police, the government, or they just innately have that mission driven focus about them. And I and I think many lighthouse clients are right. Like we believe in what you're doing, therefore we're willing to partner with you to figure out the next phase because we know it's going to help us. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and sometimes those are very large customers. Sometimes they're very small customers. The common uh, thread there is uh, they see how their investment in helping you grow and build a better product is actually going to help the industry overall. So they've got a bit more of an industry mindset. It is a fascinating thing, though, to me in security, how often we run into organizations where they're, you know, the, the customer organizations, they're reluctant to change. They're almost the other end of the technology adoption curve. And we talked about this a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, you know, reluctance because nothing's happened to us before. Uh, there's a there's a truism that is, you know, nobody ever got fired for doing exactly what they did in the past. And with security, I don't think we can rest on our laurels. The world is changing too fast around us. You know, just just last weekend and we all hear about the, the tragedies of shootings, mass shootings that goes on. You know, mass shootings defined as four or more people. Well, what about three or two or one? Um, but there was, you know, while one or two of them made headlines, there was 10 mass shootings last weekend in North America. You know, the, the, the horse is out of the barn here. The problem is real and it's right in front of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think as a society we can accept any more people saying, eh, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. We're using technology. The walkthrough metal detector was invented 40, 50 years ago. And to put that in context, let me give you this example, Chuck. One of the prevalent uh, forms of communication 40, 50 years ago was a fax machine. Could you imagine you, me, and all your listeners holding this podcast with a fax machine? It's laughable. But that's what, we're, that's what we're doing in physical security. We're using 40-year-old technology to solve a modern-day problem, which has a different societal expectation to it. But I think it's like you said earlier, though, a lot of that is happening because nothing happened here, so why do I need to invest in this space? But as you say with the customer back philosophy of like, yeah, we, we are secure. We are security apparatus, but we also understand your output. You know, it's like, I guess if you're in the personal protection space, like, look, we can lock, we can lock the principal down, but if the principal's job is to be on stage or to interact with people or to do so, we need to figure out a security environment that will allow that. And then we have to understand where our, you know, where our no-go areas are and where we're willing to flex. Um, let me ask you a question, Peter, it, more of a leadership one, if, if you will. You know, what advice do you have for people that are out there like, hey, I have an idea. Maybe it's maybe it's it's a maybe it's code or maybe it's it's a piece of equipment or kit that I want to bring into the security industry. I mean, you've been around, you've seen a lot of stuff. What what advice would you give those folks that are listening? Yeah, well, I'm going to pick up on, on what we talked about earlier on the customer back thinking. Um, don't, don't believe your own press, right? <laughs> don't, don't get happy years around your own thoughts and, and think you've cracked the code. Go out and find, if it means going to a trade show like an ISC West and go talk to a hundred people, 
you know, if you can find 100 people before you spend any time coding, really understand, like, you know, the nuances of what people are looking for. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, you developed a security technology is doing wonderful things with data. And you you built it using the cloud as your vehicle for, you know, for processing, gathering data, execution, things like that. And then you find you run into companies who, because of personal privacy information uh, protection rights, won't use the cloud. Now you've got to completely rewrite your code based on some simple operational thing that you should have thought about ahead of time. So, you know, go do the market research first. You may also find that, you know, you've got this great idea and lo and behold, there's 50 other companies out there doing the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I love that idea of critical thinking. I, I personally believe it's something that's slowly being uh, degraded over time. So, yeah, you have a great idea, but you're right. There could be 50 others out there that have it. So now it becomes more of the idea of what is it Porter's uh, Porter's like, what's my differential? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'll give you a quick analogy around that, Chuck. You know, I went to um, I was in cybersecurity for a long time. And the big show is the RSA show held out in San Francisco every year. And when uh, in my in my last year I left, there was probably like three, four hundred vendors, and I dropped out of cybersecurity world for um, for about seven years. I got into kind of AI, SaaS, data center type uh, businesses, and then I dropped back into cybersecurity for a while. And when I went back to the RSA show in that seven years, nothing had changed. The only thing that had changed was there was one more zero on the end of every number. There was no longer three hundred vendors. There was three thousand. There's no longer a thousand hacks and breaches that were publicly announced. There was ten thousand. There's no longer a billion dollars of VC investment. There was ten billion dollars. Everything was the same. The problems were the same. But the thing that was I found the most fascinating was the majority of the new vendors who are exhibiting there, they were barely a feature, let alone a product, in solving a, a specific problem set. Yeah, we'd subsegmented the problem down to such narrow silos. It was going to be very difficult for any of those VCs to get return on those investments. So, you know, go out and do your homework. Are you really in a space, not just in terms of the problem you're trying to solve, but how you're going to solve it? Simple things. Are you 120 volt powered or are you Ethernet power or Ethernet? Are you, you know, on-prem? Are you, you know, in the cloud? You know, simple things like this can make and break the design and deployability of a product. So let me pull that string just for you guys and, and over at uh, Extract One, I mean, you know, what is, if you can say, I mean, obviously we don't want to reveal any secrets, but what's on the horizon for you? What are you thinking about? You know, what, where, where, what's your trajectory? Yeah, well, we're doing very, very well for a number of reasons. We spent, uh, you know, a large chunk of the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022 out in front of customers, testing and testing and testing and getting their feedback. You know, what is it you really like? What is it you really hate about your current solutions or new competitive solutions? And we took all that and said, well, let's take the things they like and let's make them better. Let's take the things they dislike and let's fix that problem. We introduced a thing called the Smart Gateway, and that's our flagship product right now. Uh, so we're on, we're on a, an unbelievable trajectory right now for growth with that product since we announced it in uh, June-ish time frame of last year. You know, we uh, grew our revenues fiscal year over fiscal year 250%. And then the first quarter of the next year after that, we did as much business in that quarter as we did in the entire year previously. So there's a great trajectory there. So now that we've got this platform that's getting out in the marketplace and changing the dynamic of physical security, what I most like about the company, and in fact, the reason I chose to come here versus other places, was it's a software-driven solution. 
very much built on AI and the kinds of things we've talked about earlier. So that allows a lot of flexibility to say yes to many uh, customers. All sorts of interesting ideas about, um, you know, how to integrate in other types of activities. Simple one. Somebody walks in the front door, they go, now go through our system, you know, fast and frictionless instead of waiting for the walk-through metal detector. But now they have to stand in line for ticketing. Yeah. Well, think, I think about that in the corporate space, too. You and I both worked in large in corporations. They have large campuses. You know, I, I'm, I'm not an extract one employee, but I'm thinking broadly about how, you know, uh, future use of this where like now we have this deployed at a campus or maybe we have a, a campus that's uh, more at risk. Maybe that we have innovation happening there and we can look at the patterns and we can look at things and extract that and and bring insights, uh, risk insights uh, to to decision makers. Yes, absolutely. And you start to think about, well, can I start leveraging the platform to integrate in multiple different things like access control, like uh, video, you know, video insights? You know, I see an individual who was, uh, you know, pushing and shoving someone in the parking lot for an unknown reason. I've got, uh, uh, you know, I've got an eye on him via the cameras. When he comes through the door, do I dynamically change the sensitivity on the system to be overly cautious to make sure he's not carrying a weapon. Or, you know, I notice that this is the CEO. I've got all sorts of digital insights about him approaching the business, and maybe I want to turn down the sensitivity because it's unlikely he's bringing a gun to work. There's all sorts of, there's an unbelievable future. I'll come back to my uh, my iPhone analogy. When the first couple of iPhones were out, they, uh, or smartphones, they didn't have cameras. All you could do, they didn't have an app store. They didn't have GPS in them, so there's no Google Maps. You could surf the web. You could get your emails, personal emails. You could text. Maybe it had a little clock on it, something like that. But it was better than the flip phone. So if they walk through metal detectors of flip phone, then you know what we're doing with next generation screening platforms is we're now onto a kind of a smartphone trajectory. Nobody knew exactly what the smartphone would do when you were in the first or second or third version of it. Here we are at the Samsung 23 or the iPhone 14, and there's been this like platform that offered so much promise that innovative developers have built things on top of, which would then drive better hardware, which would gen then drive better software, and so on and so on in this symbiotic circle. And we see the same thing happening with our platform. And you know, I like the fact that we've got this core software engine that we can innovate on to be able to say yes to all those ideas. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, Peter, how do people find you if they kind of want to follow, learn more about Extract One, or or just maybe you you personally? Well, anyone's welcome to link. You know, try and link with me on LinkedIn. Dude, what's your What's your fax number? <laughs> <laughs> uh, great question, Chuck. Great question. Uh, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I will always repost all the news out of uh, out of Extract One. I will write my own blogs with my, my own insights on what I think is happening in this world of digital transformation. Of course, anyone's welcome to sign up for any of our other social media. You know, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, you know, we're on Twitter, and of course, you know, at our website, people are welcome to sign up and get the news feeds as they come on out. So, you know, we're out there on all the typical social channels, and we're pretty easy to find if you just look up Extract One. X-T-R-A-C-T-O-N-E. Peter Evans from Extract One, thank you so much for joining the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence podcast. It's been my pleasure, Chuck. It's good to catch up with you again. Thank you so much.
This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.